1: Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eHearNowNetwork.com forward slash David. Greetings, everybody. This is David Nickturn. Our podcast, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck. I have an extra special guest with me today, 2020. And um, this is my very dear old friend, Michael Carroll, who is... Uh, teacher, a Dharma teacher, uh, an author of some repute, and been my Dharma brother for many decades as we've kind of journeyed through the worldly path and through the um, um, Buddhist path and trying to interweave those two. So he's a perfect guest for this particular podcast. Michael's a teacher in the Kagyu Enigma and Shambhala lineages in the tradition of Chogyam Trangma Rinpoche. So that's... That's how we're brothers. He's an uh, author of Awake at Work and the Mindful Leader and Fearless at Work and Mindful Leadership Training. Uh, Michael began practicing meditation in 1976. First teacher was Dujam Rinpoche. And he's been basically part of the Trungpa Rinpoche Sangha since then. So we go back, I guess, about forty years. Michael, isn't that, isn't that the case? Oh my God! <laughs> right. do, you, do you remember the first time we met?
2: I, I do. You remember my former wife actually worked for you for some time, if you recall. Ah, uh, right. Back when you had the sync love here.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's how we met? Was to- Well,
2: I, I had met you prior. Uh, you were, uh, you know, I was in the New York sangha, obviously, and I was a young man there. I moved to New York when I was 22. And I kind of bumped into you as part of that scene down there. But, you know, it was more of a sort of a, a gradual weaving together. I think you and Justine uh, hit it off, uh, and she worked in your office for quite some right. kind of, and that's kind of, and then also I remember babysitting, I think I was babysitting for your, no, someone else's son, no, I uh. never babysitted. But that's how I think we met is, is, is very gradually when you were doing the synclavier thing.
1: So, you know, one thing we share in common, and I, I wanted to ask about this among many other things, is the kind of original uh, presentation of Trungpa Rinpoche in the West, which as you know, we're finding many, many people coming around these days and very, very interested in pursuing that further. And you, for example, have orchestrated a course with uh, yourself and myself and four other senior teachers in the art tradition, uh, based on the Shambhala, the Sacred Path of the Warrior book that Trungpa Rinpoche wrote. Uh, And we've had a huge influx of people. We've had over a thousand people coming to that online um, program and they all seem to be vividly curious about this teacher who had passed away 30 years ago, but who left quite a, a body of work. So, of course, that that would be part of what would be uh, fun to talk about. A lot of people are interested in, who listen to the podcast are interested in Trungpa Rinpoche and his teachings. And then the other thing that we've shared that's kind of so uh, bonding, really, is we're kind of worldly, gregarious, outer going, uh, you know, uh, non-scholarly, you know, active in the world people who who see the spine of our existence in the world as really a, a deep dive into the Buddhist uh, teachings, but are really working very hard, like as you can tell from the title of your books, towards bringing that out towards, uh, let's say, people who are operating out in the field.
2: Yeah.
1: So I, I thought I'd start by asking a little bit about your professional career, and then we could get back to the Dharma thing, because sure. I know you've had quite a few powerful um, jobs in the corporate world and so forth.
2: Sure,
1: could you could you tell us like how you got started professionally? Well, oh, sure. First jobs and...
2: yeah, well, it, it, it you know it all started with getting off at the wrong subway station. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, my parents were very kind to me and uh, uh, had me go away to college where I studied theology and philosophy. Oh, and I have a degree in theology and I suppose I have a degree in philosophy because I had a double major. So I don't know. Um, and that's really what I was interested in in my life was that kind of thing. And I moved to New York City with a friend of mine, uh, Donna. You know Donna, Donna Thornton. And we were just young kids. Yeah, I think I was 22, and she might have been 21. And uh, um, and I, I got a job at Columbia University, and I was studying and enjoying myself. And I bumped into, I don't bumped into, well, if I did, I guess I met His Holiness Nucham Rabuche, which was a very formative, defining uh experience you know, to this day. It just changed the whole thing, just shifted the whole thing. And part of that experience was that I was not ready uh and uh really needed to go and have my diapers changed, et cetera, et cetera, spiritually. And, I was encouraged to go and uh, study with Trungpa Rinpoche. Now I had heard of him and kind of had a little interchange, but uh, it was at that point that I began to study very, very deliberately uh, uh, Buddhism. Uh, and you've heard the story where, you know, I went to seminary and I was so proud of myself and thought that I was getting all the goodies and uh, I was gonna go and have an interview with Trungpa Rinpoche you know, to ask him, what was my next step now that I've graduated from seminary and uh, we had the Nundro disciplines ahead of us and stuff. But I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I want to ask him, what's my next step? And I I, I was pretty sure that he would say, he would recognize, you know, my stellar qualities and my advanced accomplishments and say something like go study with the Karmapo or you should become a monk or I want to give you a very esoteric retreat or something. I was expecting that. And as I was asking him what to do next, he just looked at me. And he said, go get a job. <laughs> I was so arrogant at the time. And I guess I still am, but I'm hopefully a little less. That I assumed that he must have misunderstood me. <laughs> maybe he thought I was someone else, right? So I just started explaining again and again. And you know him well, so you know this experience. And I explained it again, hoping that he would realize who I was. And he just looked over his glasses and said to me, you can do it. Give it a try. Mm. And, uh, you know, at the time, it was very disconcerting. Uh, I wasn't particularly, uh, I felt like I had been thrown out into the cold, so to speak. Uh, so I went back to New York, got my master's degree in education, uh, uh, adult education, did my thesis on uh, educa- executive development, et cetera, so forth. And then I got a job on Wall Street. I was on Wall Street for about seven years. Uh, Shearson Lehman, Payne Weber, then moved over to Simon and Schuster, where I, that was sort of my first really big job. The other jobs were important. They were. But actually, Mike,
1: how did you go from a philosophy degree to working at uh, at those companies? What
2: qualifications? I, mean, I, I just went to school and studied, and then I got an internship. I wrote my thesis actually on um, on um, McClellan's uh, competent manager, which is the source of Goldman's. Uh, emotional and a social intelligence work. These were early studies on competency modeling, which was of great interest to me to be able to describe behaviors with great accuracy. Uh, in any case, I went on a couple of interviews and got a job at a bank, you know, and it, as a junior officer and, you know, how to make a living somehow. Um, and it basically just followed Rinpoche's instructions. Go home get a job, you know? Yeah. So I just moved up the ranks and uh, at, at Simon & Schuster. I was uh, uh, head of human resources for all of Simon & Schuster's operations, which was a pretty big job, and uh, then moved over to Disney, where I was the head of human resources for Disney Publishing Worldwide. Uh, so I've had senior, uh, all HR, uh, human resources jobs uh, in corporate settings, Yeah, about 25 years doing that kind of stuff, and then uh, had moved on uh, to uh, – I do a lot of work now uh, with executive coaching and uh, deploy coaches as well in a lot of scientific settings. So uh, I work with statisticians and clinical uh, researchers and scientists, but also in entertainment. I work with a lot of small creative teams and boards, uh, uh, mostly around. uh, uh, I'll give you an example, Uh, you know, statisticians. Uh, uh, and data scientists have been critical all along. Uh, but now, particularly in certain settings, they're, uh, the data that they're, they're generating with predictive analytics is really vital. But before, they were simply expected to deliver the information, and then the operating executives would use the information to make business decisions or, or various types of decisions. Now they're expected to actually influence with the data not just deliver the data. Those types of social intelligence skills are, are fairly sophisticated and most statisticians aren't trained, nor was the expectation placed upon them typically to deliver on those kinds of leadership influencing uh, skills. So I'm often uh, invited to work with senior uh, data scientists in that way to help them become more skillful in influencing and uh, decision making so that's that's basically
1: yeah and when when you brought in on situations like that would you refer to the fact that you're also a buddhist teacher would that be you wouldn't even mention that
2: no 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 no. i keep all of that now because i've written books they do the research on my background when they're interviewing me and they may note it that hey, you've written some books, and I, I kind of that my my the, the issue for me isn't to inflict meditation on people. I mean that, that's not the goal. The goal is to help people solve problems, and to and inspire the best in others, and to elevate themselves. And uh, in the process, more often now than used to be, uh, some of these folks say. Dude, how did you start thinking that way? Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. How
2: would you get that? Yeah. So, well, you know, you have to train your mind not to believe everything it's saying to itself, you know? So some, uh, some of the people I work with uh, begin to use meditation and I'm more than happy to introduce it. And in fact, I do introduce it in many settings. But that's, I never lead with that. I, I, you know, the, you really want to understand what the other person's going through rather than walk in with a solution, so to speak. So, Mike, what
1: what's your version of a really great day?
2: <laughs> well, uh, well I'm, listen, I'm a very fortunate man, first uh-huh. and foremost. So I, I actually wake up in a world that is safe, clean, healthy. I wake up with a friend who I've been with, Susanna, for a long time, and I love her very much. So I'm a very fortunate man, just to wake up in the world, that I, and I and I'm not naive as to what the rest of this world is going through. Many, a lot of suffering, a lot of situations. Um, but with that said, that's the foundation for my life, and one could say it's entitled, and to to a great degree it is. But I also can count myself as fortunate. Uh, what is a good day? You know, um, I think it's a combination of. Uh, always, uh, uh, always th- th- being available to the larger picture, yeah. which we all know about as Buddhists. Always being available to that, whether it's you know looking at a, a bee uh, or meeting someone or seeing the sky, uh, and at the same time uh, uh, doing stuff. Uh, you know, just doing stuff. You know. Uh, you know, I'm helping someone run, run a meeting with his team on how do you get inside the skin of a stakeholder? Oh. You know, how, how do you see what is valued from those that you provide services to? Well, that's not a lot of fun.
1: That almost but, sounds like a book right there.
2: Yeah. So yeah. I think it's waking up as a fortunate human being, being right. around people like you, David, friends, <laughs> uh, being able to look at the sky and get the full picture. Yeah and having that happen quite a lot during the day and then uh, doing cool stuff and helping people i guess that's that's a good day for me yeah nice
1: um do you do you feel that there is something ahead of you uh in terms of your notion of either career or practice that is unfulfilled
2: yes yes yeah. and uh you know i'm in i'm 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 actually in the middle of completing that I wouldn't say the middle. I'm in the middle of the first third. And, um, you know, I think the essence of it is that and I feel a certain responsibility, as I think you do as well, is to express what we've been given in ways that is helpful to others. And uh, there are, you know, I've completed, you and I have talked about Luma's Dignity fourth ring issues and completing a commentary on that and those kinds of things. So there's, there's this, there's certain teachings that you and I have received that aren't as explicitly from former imaging that have not been as explicitly articulated uh, uh, that, that I feel I still have to do that. It's not really that much for public consumption Uh as, as my books are. Uh, you know, it has a lot to do with how do we enter into a world that's so confused from a tantric point of view and engage it in a way that inspires the, the best in the world. And Tom Rinpoche went to great lengths to tra- train us about that. Hmm. And uh, so I still, I still feel I have a, a more work to do in sort of establishing what I learned and what he gave me.
1: Yeah. And how about professionally? Do you, do you feel like there's something unfulfilled there, uh, or is it all one thing?
2: No, nah, no, it's it, it, everything has a compartment. It's all in the same house where everybody, everything, you know, I do keep somewhat separate. No, you know, honestly, David, I, I, I guess no. That's a good question. <laughs> it's actually now that I think about it, there is probably one final professional thing that. I would like to do, but I'm probably not going to do it. Which is essentially where I see things going over the next 30 years, maybe even 50 years, in terms of global business, is there's, there's, a, there's a linchpin about how human beings interact with one another. And it used to be around leadership, it used to be how leadership works and how leadership moves among different people. You know, frontline leadership, corporate leadership, the senior most level leadership, team leadership, project leadership, all good stuff. An area where I've, I've done a lot of work and it's important stuff. But it's shifting now that that it, that, that, that a mindful leader or, 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 or a great leader is not going to be the linchpin for the global workplace, it's an authentic colleague.
1: Wow, That's a, is that a term that you coined or somebody else has
2: coined? No, it? I guess it's a, I mean, I'm sure someone's talked about authentic colleagues, but I don't- I
1: never heard it before.
2: Well, no, I coined that phrase, but there's, some, you know, there's somebody in the audience going, dude, I came up with that word before. Dude,
1: <laughs> there's <laughs> definitely people in this audience saying dude, whatever. Well, I apologize. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm, uh, so authentic colleague as opposed to uh, the leadership.
2: That's correct. That the, is this, the Does that mean it's eye
1: level, Mike? Is it is it that's
2: yep. Uh-huh. What what is really the defining relationship is the eye-level relationship because things are self-organizing now. Uh-huh. And and where we're seeing a lot of the initial dynamics to that are around agile teams. And for people in your audience who know what agile teams are, it isn't just an agile team. It's a very specific way of empowering teams that are close to highly dynamic situations that constantly need adaptation. And those teams have to adapt very quickly, a lot around technology, those kinds of things. And you don't have to go back to corporate to come up with an idea. You have to adapt. And the way that's often done is, is collegially and intelligently. And, and, and what you rely on isn't a leader. It's you rely on colleagues that you can trust that you have chemistry with, and that is increasingly in the competencies required to be able to build a culture that puts the authentic colleague at sort of at the apex of what you're trying to achieve. The, those, I don't think that's being explored as well as it will be in the very near future, and uh, uh i i I think i have a lot of insight into all the the basic behaviors that are required there
1: now how does that correlate because i i feel like you're saying something really powerful here and it's the kind of um circular model rather than the pyramid model of collaboration you know Mm -hmm. and uh, it seems to be uh, bumping into so some people are saying you know in buddhist terms it'd be the sangha is extremely important yeah the community is really important the kind of collegial quality of that. How does that correlate with the, what I think could easily be seen as an extremely hierarchical model within Tibetan Buddhism in particular, and and Vajrayana in particular, in which the guru is kind of considered to be, um, you know, a pinnacle of some kind of experience. And, you know, and and so it's very hierarchical in some sense. How would you correlate those two perceptions?
2: Well, you know, obviously... You know, again, I'm a very fortunate man to have met, you know, a a truly, fully realized, you know, Vajra master. And and, and I'm not saying that as like some kind of sycophant here. here. If anyone had met from Rinpoche, you would know exactly what I'm talking about right now, you know. So I'm very fortunate to have met a, a, a traditionally trained Vajra master I wouldn't recommend having a Vajra master to many people. I mean, that's not like, you know, hey, everyone ought to have a Vajra master or something. <laughs> um, but I also was fortunate in that I think Krumper Rinpoche understood that he was handing uh, a very ancient tradition off to a modern world. And I think he also had a tremendous amount of confidence in us, in frankly, that he could hand it to us. now. Some of us drop the ball. And I honestly can say that I haven't been always the best student as well. But I think one of the things that I've learned about the hierarchical aspect of Vajrayana, uh, and how I think a key element of that going forward in terms of the preservation of Vajryana in the West is that a lot of the the theming the uh, kind of exaggeration of like overly effusive praise of the teacher, the infallibility of the teacher, all of those kinds of superlatives, they increasingly are more uh, obscuring the issue than clarifying. And the issue in my mind about uh the, the 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 guru is is really the essence of it is love the essence of it is devotion you know whether i think Torma Rinpoche was an enlightened being or not it, it really something's more fundamental. I am deeply grateful to him i'm deeply grateful to dujom Rinpoche for showing me what they showed me i I love them for what they did for
1: me. Yeah. But how does that were they your authentic colleague just coming back to your
2: Oh okay good. Oh no, thank had you. Him, for
1: that. Yeah, <laughs> just going here. around the park yeah. and coming back yeah. onto that. It's, that's that's right. sort of it's an interesting place to to land from what you just said.
2: You know, yeah. So this coast. is the thank you for doing that. Uh, this sense of deep appreciation of the other of the other person. Is that the is one of the core elements of the authentic colleague, and you can see it in military uh military have been using this authentic colleague model for quite a long time. They may not have called it an authentic colleague model you know, there there's a great hierarchy of levels of you know lieutenants and first lieutenants and captains and majors and all that kind of stuff but and in of,
1: bus- and in business as well
2: absolutely. But when it really comes down to it, what is the fabric that holds together a military team is devotion to one another. There's a deep sense of devotion and care about one another's well-being, about one another's lives and trust and support for one another. That dynamic is at the very core of this devotion uh that is very human and it's very authentic that's why the word i use it's it's like being an authentic human being gratitude uh so that's where i think there might be a, a, a not might be i think there is a shared set of of dynamics there yeah
1: well you know i'm sure in the business world people are exploring paradigms you know for uh even the root paradigm, which is what's the point of the company, for example, you know, both you and I have had entrepreneurial activities and you create something and what's the root paradigm for creating a company is, um, arguably the kind of limiting one is the idea of generating profit and growth mm-hmm. to the point where that's it. That's how you measure the success of the outing and, uh, you know, um, I have a chapter in, in my in my book Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck about what is success. What does it really mean to be successful? So you um, explore the paradigm of putting a company together. That that is not the only consideration, or a government. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, that when we look at our government's success, it's it's measured in terms of like right now we're in the middle of a, a, a tremendous crisis in terms of. Uh, leadership and, and um, what government even is for. And if you look at it and only measured by GDP, you know, and uh, and the stock market and uh, the, you know, what money is going back into people's wallets, tax cuts, blah, blah, blah. And you don't look at the health of the human beings in the society. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that's kind of part of a big problem that we're working out right now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's a
1: problem. <laughs> well, How do we get around yeah. it? How, well, how, how does your view take us around that
2: well you know i'll go back to my work in mindful leadership and uh, and i i enjoyed making this point and continue to enjoy making this point i, I use a story as i typically do uh, i remember this one assignment with a with a, a physician leader i do a lot of work with physician leaders and uh, he was interviewing me to be his coach and uh, he said to me he goes uh, you know, to me, leadership is pretty simple. My job is to get from point A to point B as efficiently and as profitably as possible. There you go. That's it's that simple. I said, yeah. and he was a doctor. This guy, a, a physician leader, right? Wow. And I said. Uh, you know, hey, that's pretty good. I think you got, I said, I think you got about 83%. Uh But uh, to me, there's a very important ingredient here that getting from point A to point B uh, as efficiently and as profitably and uh, as effectively as possible is great. But if we arrive at point B without our collective sanity intact, we have failed
1: and He's, what? How did he respond to that?
2: Uh, he got it uh-huh. because I said right after that I said, "Look, you can you can meet your numbers, you can meet your goals, you can meet your timetables, but if your divorce rate is up, your turnover rate and your engagement is up, your uh, drug addiction is up within your population, you failed." Now, you may not think you failed, and God bless, I'm not here to convince you. Yeah. But if you want to have a coach to help you become a great leader, that has to be a priority because without that, there is no success. It's a sine qua non. It would be like, here's the example I use. Of, use of, I said, you have kids, right? He goes, yeah. I said, okay. I us imagine you, you're going to send them to camp you have you go to one camp and it's a nice camp it looks really good and you say okay what's your safety record here and the first camp goes it's great we have doctors and nurses on site we have an ambulance over here we have a tent that's always ready and we have not one incident over the 25 years you're like well that's pretty impressive then you go to the other camp and they go uh, yeah, well, you know, we try to do our best. You know, uh, we look out for the kids. And you go, well, "What's your record here?" So, uh, we, you know, honestly, over the 25 years, only a couple of kids have died here. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you go back and you sit down with your with your spouse, and you try to determine which one you leave, you go to, do you look at which one cost less? Do you look? Do you look at like, you know, what, how many hours they offer for the for the investment? No, hey, you know. It's not even a question. Uh, well, that's how it should be in the workplace.
1: Well, how do you think it's gotten so divorced from that? I mean, arguably, we're you know we're um, we're not even close.
2: I wouldn't say we're not even close, but I but I get what you're talking about. I think yeah. there are. While I can catalog a whole range of indictments of modern the modern workplace as a greedy, crass, and selfish environment. I can equally catalog a whole range of uplifted and inspiring elements as well, so I think it's a mix that's number one. but the, I think that the, the, I think there's a there's a number one reason why the health and well-being and the elevation of human beings is not a singular element of of most organizations, modern organizations, and it's one one word: fear, Dead, fear. Oh. And that then spirals into greed, selfishness, panic, uh, ignorance, all kinds of dynamics.
1: What do you think uh, people are afraid of Well, in this context? What's the big one?
2: Now, in the workplace, fear is really powerful. And, and if, as your audience would just reflect for a moment, it can be as simple as you know, afraid to lose our job. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a job, how am I going to pay my bills? I have my kid. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. People are afraid to lose their job. But even if you have a job and you're not leisure, you're afraid to maybe be uh, marginalized. Mm-hmm. You go know, to a meeting and your boss doesn't know, oh, you know, you know <laughs> or, or whatever. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it goes on from there. I mean, I've seen f- fear in the workplace, which is of great interest to me for a long, long, long time.
1: Uh, take if you, do you characterize your own fear, is it possible to do that?
2: Me? Myself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's evolved. Uh-huh. When, I, when I first started, uh, it was a very similar fear that I, I think I, to a great degree, inherited from my father. Um, it, it was a fear that I, I, I wouldn't be able to pull it off. You know, I, I just wouldn't be able to pull this off.
1: Yeah, whatever this is.
2: Whatever this is, you know,
1: <sighs> fail. Yeah, wow, you know, it's deep.
2: Yeah, that I couldn't pull it off. Uh, and then you know, would evolve from there. I mean, you know, I've I've been very fortunate. in Most of my jobs, my my former boss brought me along with with him or her because there was chemistry there. So to a great degree, I, I haven't had to have a lot of that uh, stuff. But I've had some difficult missteps in my career, and. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that would be the essence of my fear is I can't pull this off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say uh, all dharmas agree at one point, right? Mm-hmm. Lojong slogan. Sure. What 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 point is that? What is that point? <laughs> We're all Nobody ever asked that question, you know. Well, what is that point?
2: <laughs> We're all dharmas agree. Well, yeah. I would I would interpret that slogan as the word Dharma, not re- referring to uh, the Dharma's of teaching, of, right. of, yeah, but of, yeah. of of enduring moments. Yeah. That every moment that you have in your your life it resolves itself into a truth. Uh huh. Either you're hesitating or you're not.
1: Uh huh.
2: It's one or the other. Oh. <laughs> it's one or the other. Either you're trying to navigate yourself through life or you're actually living it mm-hmm.
1: yeah this is very michael carroll right here at this moment ladies and gentlemen this is really the nub of so and it it's digital it's it's binary
2: it gives itself the impression that it's binary
1: either you are navigating or you're living
2: it gives itself the impression that you have that choice But. You don't. You're living with or without your permission anyway.
1: <laughs> you're living with or without your permission. That's funny. Yeah.
2: But you're giving yourself the impression that you have a choice, uh,
1: okay. which, is,
2: which is called samsara. Uh,
1: samsara is the delusion that you have some kind of choice about being there or not being there.
2: That's right. And then yeah. I can construct an entire storyline around the Mikey show.
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... Is there a better environment to kind of, uh, you know, test that premise than everyday life in in the ordinary world?
2: No, and I think that was one of the great, you know, I think could be summarized into maybe a a dozen really fundamental, profound instructions for the modern world. One of which is that your life is perfectly arranged to attain enlightenment. Perfectly arranged and that one can engage the, 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 the melody of circumstance of your modern life in such a way that it can accelerate the insight into the fundamental element of what it means to be human. So whether you're a truck driver, nurse, mom, dad, whether you're disabled or not, that when you fully understand the circumstances that you're in, it it can accelerate your ability to wake up. Now, leaping
1: from there to like, we're in an incredible moment, right? You know, as we're talking, I'm sure by the time the podcast is on the air in a couple of weeks, everything's going to look somewhat different. What the heck do you think is going on in America right now?
2: <laughs>
1: like from your bird, you know, your sky mind view, the big picture, there's something going on that is, um bigger than the narrative that's happening or the various
2: narratives. I, I think there's two things here from my vantage point. And again, this is just now the Mikey feel.
1: <laughs> that's all
2: I'm asking for. Yeah, I mean uh, the, well, the, the one dynamic is that I became radicalized at around 13 years old. I knew I was being lied to mm. uh, by you know, Jimmy Swagger, Catholic Church, Vietnam, you know, the, everything. I mean, you know, every time I kept pressing in to investigate, I knew I could smell this is a lie. <laughs> and um, as I grew older and I developed myself spiritually, I, I probably didn't pay attention to politics that much. But I guess the point is, I'm not surprised by this. I'm not surprised that half the country, after having four years of an unvarnished view of a profoundly mentally ill sociopath, serial sexual predator criminal running our (laughs) government, actually comes to the conclusion that that is a preferred experience. I am not surprised by that because I smelled it back when I was 13 years old and so and the fact that Donald Trump exists we people like you and I look at that as, as an appalling issue but it's frankly a mirror that's that's how the, this country has been seen by people for a long time whether you're an indigenous person from this country or you're a Vietnamese or you're from Latin America That level of sloppy, loud, condescending incompetence (laughs) has been how we have been seen for centuries. Uh. So, nothing new there.
1: Uh
2: We all live in this country, is built, you should read the book, Fantasyland. Okay. America is. Living in a fantasy land, it's been built on fantasy land, it lives in fantasy land, and it can't, it's addicted to fantasies. And this has been a WWE, four years of WWE, basically. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't beauty to this country, obviously. There's great greatness in this country, but I'm not surprised by it. But the other dynamic is the Ekajati Principle. I, her fingerprints are all over that.
1: Okay. You have to tell people in the audience who, who Ekajati is.
2: Ekajati is a a protector within the uh, the Vajrayana. uh, And she is in my estimation, maybe someone else could enlighten me as to otherwise, but she's the boss for all intents and purposes in terms of all the other protectors. And, uh, is widely recognized as one of the if not the most potent protectors of the most advanced teachings on the planet uh, let alone other things that she does but her and she has minions of very skillful mamos and, and dynamics that are involved with creation and destruction and you know there's we
1: yeah but but there's oh
2: forgot your audience I
1: forgot yeah about. potentially yeah. X number of people who are listening who might not even have a clue what you're talking.
2: Yeah, about. Yeah, I right apologize.
1: Now. No, that's okay. Just fill them
2: in. Yeah. So explain uh, what you mean by protection. Yeah. So the, the, the issue here isn't that there is a deity floating around by the name of, of Ekajati. What this dynamic is is about is that we, we typically think that that the phenomenal world is 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 this object. You know, it's like a tree, you cut it down, you turn it into toothpicks, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> but in reality, when we actually experience wakefulness in a synchronized way with the phenomenal world, we realize that, the, the, that what appeared to be an animate is, is in fact intelligent. And it's awake. It has, a, it has a, a grammar, a syntax to it, and how you have a conversation with it. Ekjadi is kind of the, the, the language of, of the phenomenal world, and um, there are many qualities to how she works. But one of them, in the way I would explain, I know we have a short time, but there's it, 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 it's the experience of a sudden shift where what was not perceived before suddenly becomes profoundly apparent, and often it isn't a very pleasant experience. <laughs> Often it's not a very pleasant experience. And this experience of COVID is 100% a a, a Ekejati move. One minute we're all moving along with our cars that start perfectly and our half and half in the refrigerator. And I, I apologize because people are not as fortunate or as entitled as I am, but we live pretty good in this country. And then two seconds later, the whole thing shifts. Yeah. And you, you, what is this? Who am I? What can I do? What is my relationship with you? What is my relationship with myself? You know, what is the relationship with the rest of the world? That kind of sudden shift where what
1: Like do you, the rug is being pulled.
2: That's correct. That's an ekajati move.
1: Yeah. Pull that and rug. It
2: very suddenly. Yeah. And it wakes you up. It isn't particularly pleasant, but mm-hmm. it wakes you up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and it, and in order to relate with it, as I've been trained, you you relate with those those awakenings as sacred. The
1: even moment. though the, even though they're quieting in a way or, oh, yes. or unsettling, you okay. have the view that this might be a good thing rather than a, a purely negative experience because it has potential to shift your perspective, move you into more. Uh, integrated way of working and being
2: yeah i would i would I, I hear what you're saying and i think what you said is 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 accurate but you don't you don't treat those movements as sacred because you're expecting to learn something from them uh-huh. you treat them as sacred because they are fundamentally real being human and being vulnerable like this is real being it's there's a crudeness to it that is so real that my little bits of my liquid can get in your mouth and kill you it's
1: <laughs> so, it's
2: so real
1: so much like, for friend kissing huh
2: yeah well there will be a time we'll be, <laughs> not for me i'm too old but <laughs> but um that that deserves great humility and yeah. great respects yeah. Uh, that that these dynamics are worthy of our uh, our dignity or our, uh, our our humility. That's all. That, that's how I see it.
1: Yeah. And um, do you have a plan for for, what? for anything?
2: <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I try to keep enough money in the bank so that I don't, you know, I can go to the store and, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I don't really have a bucket list. I I would like to, I I remember going on an adventure with my dad to the Grand Canyon. And I I love that little area where you come from Albuquerque and drive all the way up to Canada and just enjoy yourself there. And I just love meditating on the edge of the Grand Canyon. You know, you can... Big as you know, and you can just drive out, park your car, walk into the woods, and you, all of a sudden you're at the edge of this thing and sit down. and So, I, that would be something I'd like to plan to do that. Uh, that. To
1: go to the Grand Canyon.
2: Yeah, and meditate. It's, it's yeah. really fun just sitting there.
1: It reminded me of when I went to Bhutan. You, you may or may not remember this, but I went up to Taktsang, which is the cave where Padma Used to meditate, which is in a sheer cliff that you have to kind of go go up a pretty deep mountain climb to get to. Famous place, um, Tiger's Nest. And I got there and I feel like, wow, this, we're talking about the 8th century AD. And uh, that's when this cave was, uh, you know, occupied by him. And now there's a monastery built around it that has burned to the ground and has also been refurbished, but it's still quite primitive. And you're sort of at this, power spot in the world and i just i'm sitting there kind of you know after i went into the cave and i'm looking at my phone i, I went like oh my god i have bars here <laughs> <laughs>
2: and i called you from there
1: <laughs> but you weren't you weren't home and i left you a message
2: yeah i think i remember getting that, that little yeah. message.
1: so that's you know that's sort of an interesting overlay of our lives that that connection because we do have some kind of And many people who are coming around now, Mike, have this connection with Padmasambhava and, um, you know, something about the ancient kind of teachings and um, resonating and shamanic traditions and and Hinduism. And, you know, um, I'm sure a few people are exploring their own ancestral traditions, but, you know, um, there's a lot of interest in in those. And then there's existing ruins, if you will. Like if you go to India, there's the ruins of those civilizations, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go to Thailand, you 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 know, places like that. And we're in some way really uh, tuning into that. And we had a gift, which was we had a translator, a famous translator called Trung Rinpoche, who was able to take that, not just the language, but culture and portal it into like, you know, basically giving us a way to access that information, which would have been very, very hard to access. And yet, at the same time, and there we are, you know, with our ki- our, our grandkids on the, uh, uh, and here we are on a Zoom call, and our grandkids, you know, are are um, uh, probably going to be more virtual than real most of the time, you know, in terms of their actual experience of the phenomenal world. And we're supposed to bridge those two things. I really feel like that's the unique quality of our generation, um, and and why we're, you know, making our. Um, serious pitch as opposed to like, you know, okay, into the sunset, let me take it easy. Now. A lot of people like you, yourself and myself, I know are almost doubly activated to go. Mm. We have to take our last good effort at, uh, you know, communicating the fact that we knew the blues masters. It's like, you know, there are no blues. I use that analogy a lot. There are no blues masters anymore. Mm. There's no such thing The the, the um, the cause and conditions that created muddy waters And, uh, you know, Junior Walker and, uh, you know, and and B.B. King, uh, of course, exist to some extent. But, you know, the people who were there and and heard that and studied that have a certain uh, appreciation for it that has to be passed on in a new way. And then there's a lot of young people who just somehow are smelling it out. And they're looking at old coots like us and they're going like, you you know, uh, you know, connect these dots with me. And just an interesting time because ordinary conventional reality, you and I would be like really laying back right now. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah, but I don't think you and I are laying back,
1: that's for sure. Yeah, so it's, it, it's interesting. And, and if, if there was something, let's say, you wanted to take something from Padma Sambaba's cave and can, you have, do you have a grandson now? I have a granddaughter. Granddaughter. I
2: have, I have another grandchild too, yeah.
1: You are, you having a second one?
2: Yeah, well, my, my son and his wife are, but yeah. Well, you're
1: having a grandchild. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So your granddaughter is how old? Two. And you know, I have Izzy, Ethan's daughter, who's three. Yes. And if you could portal, be the conduit for something from Sambhava to your two-year-old granddaughter, what what would you want to uh Bring across
2: and give. Yeah, I, I would say, I think the key issue, and this is one of the other maybe top 12 things that Toro Rinpoche gave us, is the provocation of magic. Okay. That that there is, a, that magic is real. That it's not, not magic bunny out of the hat thing. About <laughs> that. We're talking about, you and I have seen this, Right? with being around these teachers, that there is a whole way of relating with the phenomenal world that is, re- is remarkably unexplainable and that you can become familiar with that if you're willing to treat the world as sacred and to be gentle. That's what i'd like to
1: call that's what you want to say to your to your granddaughter?
2: and show her how to do it and show her how to actually provoke magic
1: yeah, what what's her name
2: her name is nina
1: so there's you and nina and how old does she have to be to for you to have the conversation
2: uh, I could do it now <laughs> how do, how do you how do you look at a how do you actually look at a a, a bee mm. like you might think you're seeing a bee, but if you cannot see the bee, if you if you, you may not see, is it, you, when you look at a bee, you see a bee. A bee. It's a bumblebee. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. What happens if you if 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 you realize that that's a concept,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you actually see that? So
1: you you want to introduce Nina to the magic of the phenomenal world that she's inheriting. That's right and sure, how to relate to that.
2: Yeah, and provoke
1: it. And provoke, provoke it, yeah, you said that twice. Provoke. What the, is provoking? In the best
2: mean? sense of the word, not provoke like, nah, nah, you know, like teasing it. Right. But, but it's like <laughs> dancing. It's like, uh-huh. it's, more, it's more like when you dance and you, you, you play with your partner, and your partner goes, oh, I like that. That's cool, uh-huh. I'm there. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. what I'm talking about, is how do, you, right. how do you dance and play with it in such a way that it responds?
1: Right. And in terms of you as the recipient, you know, to receive what do you what would make you happiest to receive from Nina. Coming back the other way.
2: Now, unfortunately, you're asking me the, the wrong person, and this my wife hates this about me is um, uh, I don't need anything from her. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Smile. Whatever I get. <clears throat> Makes me the happiest man in the world. <laughs>
1: Where do they live?
2: They just live 40 minutes away here. They live here in Pennsylvania. So I get to see it. Well, we don't get to see it because of the COVID thing. My, my son is a law enforcement agent for the prevention of cruelty to animals. So he's wow. Like animal protection cop. So he's out in the world quite a lot. And, mm-hmm. uh, so Even we have now? To
1: be... Is he still going out and about? Yeah, and...
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he does his job. They, you know, they're they you they know they, they they don't live on the edge of poverty but he can't be unemployed you know what mm-hmm. i mean so he has to work in in the, in the cop they do need in in yeah. cities and in rural areas they do need people to enforce those laws so yeah. he has plenty of work to do but we can't hang you know what i mean as yeah. much because of the the covid
1: thing and are you working on any new book
2: well i just completed that commentary and uh, it's a 60,000 word commentary, so that that's done, and it's in the editor's hands to get printed. Um,
1: but that's not a public book, right? That's no, it's not a public book. Any public, it, any public writing that you're
2: no, I, contemplating? You know, uh, no, I, 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 I'm, you know, this authentic colleague thing. I have it all outlined, and I have a lot of the competency models written up, and it has a lot to do also with the authentic word is also a relationship to artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence, we have to understand how to relate with it properly. So I have it all outlined, but I'm not, I'm not going to want to write it. You have other things I want to do.
1: That seems like a very potent concept and I haven't heard it. Now, it doesn't mean it's not all over the place, but the authentic colleague as a leadership model, um, you know, you know, I'm building out a, a a platform called Dharma Moon, which is going to be a kind of yeah. online community uh, for for people interested in the kinds of things we're interested in, in and also the creative uh, dimension of of life. And um, the I just naturally started forming. I when I'm sending out the communiques to to mm-hmm. the people we're working on these things, I, I I I say team. I chose the word team rather than anything else like team sports, you know, for example, you could look at a, a football team and you could say, well, the quarterback is like kind of like the guy calling the shots, but on some level, he's no more important than the than the left tackle, you know. Oh, no,
2: I mean, football, yeah, it moves yeah. around.
1: Yeah, it moves around. And and so the notion of teamwork seems like, and there's also, I say it's an old cliche, but there's no I in team. Sure, sure. You know, and, and this... Seems to me to be like people could wrap their minds more around this notion of, of teamwork, and lessing the I, the I thing. A lot of people I talked to just dial that down some that I thing. Even if it's in a spiritual context, that okay, there's one person who's like Mister Universe or whatever. There's a there's a collage around those people, and even when Buddha taught, right? There's the Buddha, but there's all the bodhisattvas and the arhats, and sometimes they're giving the teachings. Uh, you know. So, this this spreading out into mandala principle, yep. uh, you know, it seems like, and then to have a word for it that works in the Western context, authentic colleague. I don't know, I would buy that book if I saw it in a store.
2: I'm just saying. Well, thank you. But, yeah. uh, one final di- situation here, that, and this is important, is when we were growing up, David, how we affiliated with situations. I mean, I affiliated with the Catholic Church. Because my parents were Catholic and they sent me there, so I affiliated. Yeah, that's not how it works now. Uh-huh. If I'm interested in uh, bumblebees that wear t- t- top hats, <laughs> you know, that's all I'm really interested in. I can just Google bumblebee top hat, and there's like a little group of people around yes. the world. Yeah. So this ability to aff- naturally and organically and improvisationally affiliate. Yeah. It is an increasingly powerful skill of modern humanity, but when you show up in those affiliations, you have to know how to be authentic. You have to understand the social intelligence skills to affiliate skillfully. Uh, so you don't want to really deny the I. You just want to show it with an I that's skillful. So to yeah. Speak. yeah,
1: and interactive. Yeah. Um, well. I just want to give a word up for, you know, you have the quality of appearing kind of innocent, you know, like I stand on by the side of the road and I didn't do it. You know what? uh, I didn't do anything, (laughs) you know, and all this traffic going on and the new stadium is being built behind you. And I didn't, I'm just hanging out here. So, but you, you crystallize a lot of interesting activity and you have, um, you teach all over the world and you consult with with people but you have a um a group that you've kind of crystallized called the wisdom seat yeah which is a very interesting project and the the uh we've been collaborating under that and uh doing the shambhala path of the warrior book under that is there anything you could tell people about the wisdom seat that would
2: um yeah well, or well they well, can
1: go you, to find out about it or
2: thank you for inviting you know um a friend of mine Matt DeRodio, you know Matt it, it, many years ago we 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 felt that in the mid Atlantic area th- there wasn't there were a lot of Vajrayana practitioners particularly but th- they weren't affiliated in such a way that we had a kind of a gale to invite teachers uh, so we all kind of came together there's students of Rinpoche, and uh, Rinpoche, and sons uh, and zigar kontoribej
1: Explicitly Tibetan Buddhist, or are there are no, no, stuff? it
2: um, it is because we're all of that thing. But you know, Zen, we're open to, uh, we're we're very open to uh, situations like that. But our most of the folks in the community have been trained in Vajrayana right. uh, and Mahayana. But in any case, we just started inviting teachers, and uh, they would come, and we're right near Swarthmore College, and we're right near uh, Pendle Hill, which is a very very active uh, Quaker retreat center. So we have all the resources, and we've had great teachers. Uh, uh, Rob John Rivache was here re- recently. Chongling Rivache comes regularly. We could go on and on. Are
1: any of those programs online now with those well,
2: teachers? Good is question. That... We're about to have a meeting after we get through the program we're doing about how we can begin to invite them yeah. online. But the other part of it, too, is we got Because
1: do... then they don't even have to physically be able to get there.
2: Yeah, but no, that's the fun part. I mean, gee, Mike, I'm
1: just saying. But th- th- I get that it's the fun part. But this part is practical now.
2: Because no, I agree. I agree.
1: And it has a second thing. Having le- leaped into this myself, it opens up to a community that's worldwide.
2: Uh, I totally agree.
1: And big plus. I get what it's nice. Nice to be in the room. That's for sure.
2: You no, know, I get what you're saying, and we're going in that direction. That's why we have this 1,200 person worldwide program we're
1: doing. Right. Right.
2: But but the the quality of having the teacher here in the household and doing a small retreat, Chongling Jay, and 30 of us having intimate conversation, we want to continue that. But the thing is growing. So now there's yeah. a lot of people affiliating, and it looks like we're going to have membership. And so it's fun. These are yeah. good people, and, and we're enjoying ourselves.
1: So. It's such a simple and elegant concept the wisdom seed. Yeah. You know, and the wisdomseat.org, or is it wisdomseat.org? Yeah, wisdomseat.org yeah. Just wisdomseat.org.
2: No, wisdomseat.org.
1: Okay, so everybody check that out. Uh, That's very nice of you, David. And then I also recommend, uh, you know, I, I have a very vivid memory, Michael, walking around my house out here in the backyard. I was over there in the backyard talking to you on a cell phone, and you were contemplating writing your first book, and um, which was Awake at Work, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. and you were sort of thinking, ah, you were doing your, you know, nah, 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 you know, and I said, you have to do it. I remember it was like, yeah, man, you got to do it, and you did it, and it's a unique perspective because of all friends we have, it's not that common to find somebody who's accomplished in a kind of worldly sense and is a serious, hardball Dharma practitioner. That's that's a full house, yeah. uh, you know, and and so. I recommend you know all of Michael's books to you, and we'll put um, a link you know on the on the interview with um, with yeah. your website and your books and so forth. Yeah,
2: that's very kind of you, David. I, I always I always when I tell a story about say, how'd you write your first book, I always recall people that there was this friend of mine, David Nick who didn't suggest I write the book, ordered <laughs> me to write. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, um, what a joy and so much fun to to get to chat with you and have uh, people um share your very unique view and um you know just for the audience wrapping this up michael has a way um he's what we call a hidden yogi it's 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 there's no big banners there's no um you know uh signs uh, uh, out front of the garage but if you get to hang with michael he's i would call him the black belt champion of adventure and if you get to go out well I mean, we have some amazing stories so actually in closing uh you know just a, a, a quick little story that michael and myself and robin ford who's a guitar player and was in our community too we're we're having dinner in new york and we we went out and we listened uh at the dinner they were playing joni mitchell uh music you know on, and robin had played with her so there was that connection there and Michael and Rob and I went out after that to go have a drink at a local bar. And Michael says, we should go to this place right on the corner here. It's like every time I go there, I have some kind of adventure. And we walked into that bar and Joni Mitchell was sitting at the bar. <laughs> and then we had a whole nother adventure going all over the town with her that night. And it, that's what Michael brings to the party, ladies and gentlemen. He brings the magic.
2: Well, let, so, let me, let me, you know, David, there's a little thing here that I should add to this. Yes, yeah, sorry. So when I was talking to Johnny that night, she starts telling me the story. She says, you know, just last week or a couple of weeks ago, I, I spent the night talking to a woman by the name of Justine, uh-huh. who gave her child away when she was young. She had to. Her parents, she had a child and hasn't seen her. And she was married to a guy named Michael. And she blah, 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 blah. blah. And I said, that's my wife. <laughs> And she goes, "You're kidding
1: me uh-huh. and there was about fourteen other things that night that compounded, which was Joni was saying that the um the guy she was with whenever she and he went out to have a drink, they would bump into some kind of synchronous experience right, right. and then we all left that bar, and on the street, we bumped into four more of her friends and went into another <laughs> joint and closed it. Yeah, so exactly. listen, my friends, everybody should know that Michael does bring the magic and is a magical. A friend and being and you know beloved friend and very special and hidden you know so you should check it out read read the books it's called what we call hidden in plain sight that's okay. what michael is <laughs> so thank you so much for joining the podcast mike and um of course we'll be carrying on with our usual shenanigans and um um we'll give all your contact info so okay. thank you everybody for listening and thank you, thank you michael all right okay